Hello, my friends. You're listening to Repent and Believe podcast with Cynthia Smalls of Back to God Ministries. Welcome, my friends. Here we talk and teach the message of Jesus Christ, the only one who can claim the title of Savior of the world. We also discuss all things repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and how all these things tie into living a lifestyle where our deeds are manifested and fast and God so that we may be molded by the Father into vessels to be used for His glory. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's get started. Hey everyone, before we get started, I'd like to say thank you for tuning in. And if you enjoy my podcast, please share download, leave me a message or comment. Thanks guys. Hello everyone. This is Cynthia Smalls with Back to God Ministries. How's everyone doing today? I pray that all is well in your lives, that you are walking by faith and not by sight. You beloved are to never give up on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, listen. I'm going to make this short and sweet today because I got a very busy morning, but I felt compelled by Holy Spirit to come up on the podcast this morning with this quick exhortation. The axe is at the root and all unfruitful, all unfruitful trees will be cut down. Beloved, the night is coming to a close. The days are short. Before we know it, Christ Jesus will come Again, if he tarries in his coming and we all go by the way of the grave, we all will have to give an account for this born again life that we are living in Christ Jesus. And for those who have rejected Christ, said no to his gospel, they will perish for all of eternity in the lake of fire. Beloved, we must be sober, both in spirit and in mind. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This is so not the hour, beloved, to walk in vanity Sin, pride, lasciviousness, beloved. There are many people who have claimed the name will be thrown into the lake of fire. You want to know why? They did not have a personal relationship with the one whom they should have trusted. 
they lived their lives according to false doctrines, traditions of men that made the word of God of none effect in their lives. They rather believe the bishop and the seducing prophet that how God wants them to live their best lives, but they never came to repentance. There was no changing of behavior in their lives. They put on a good show. Some will even say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name, Jesus? And Jesus would say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Beloved, the Lord is telling us, you can operate in the office of a prophet, but if your life is characterized by willful sin, what good was the prophecy? What good was the casting out of demons and you performing signs and wonders if for Jesus to say he never knew you. Beloved, we also got to understand we have an enemy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, who masquerades as an angel of light. And Paul says, don't marvel at that because his ministers... Satan's ministers, well, guess what? They masquerade as sheep. And Paul was saying, don't marvel at that because their father, Satan, he masquerades as an angel of light as well. This is where spiritual discernment, testing every spirit, must be in our arsenal when we are dealing with so-called church leaders and brethren. Beloved, listen, at the end of the day, after it is all said and done, no one will stand with us when we stand before Jesus Christ. And some believe they will stand at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards only to find out they never knew Jesus. They knew about him. They have mentally ascended about Jesus but there was no putting on the new man. And worse yet, they will stand before him at the great white throne. 
And guess what else, beloved? Some, and this, if you ask me, and my little humble opinion, some were truly born again. They had a relationship with Christ Jesus. They tasted the goodness of the word of God. And then what happened? They fell away. They became apostate. Peter said over there in 2 Peter chapter 2, Beloved, it will do us all well to study, meditate, eat that whole chapter. Because Peter, although he was talking about these false apostate prophets, it is applicable to us individuals as well. You want to know why? Let's go to it. Let us come over here to verse 21 of 2 Peter 2. Look, for it would have been better for them not to have personally known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to have turned back from the holy commandment verbally handed on to them the thing spoken of in the true proverb has happened to them the dog returns to its own vomit and a sow is washed only, only to wallow again in the mire. Amen. And if we just go back a few verses up to verse 19, again, talking about these false prophets, right? That will be on the rise because Peter was saying that how there were even false prophets in Israel, and he was saying, we shall have false prophets among us today. How true. So verse 19, he was saying that they promise them liberty when they themselves are the slaves of depravity. For by whatever anyone is defeated and overcome, to that person, he is continually enslaved, whether it be by a person, a thing, philosophy, or concept. Yes. Verse 20, for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world by personal knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. Well, their last condition has become worse for them than the first. And then we have verse 21, for it would have been better for them not to have known personally the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to have turned back. Beloved, it is possible 
to have received the Holy Spirit indwelling in you only for you and I to get ourselves entangled and enslaved by sin all over again. Peter is saying it would be better if we have never known the way to righteousness than to have personally known it and then reject the holy command that was given to live holy lives. He said, we prove the truth of the proverb that a washed pig. Think about being born again, washed in the blood of Jesus. You have been purified and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Only, hear me now, only to go back to the muck and mire and get yourselves dirty again. Peter even said, you are just like a dog who returns back to its vomit. Beloved, I cannot stress it enough today. Because Lord willing, y'all know I'm coming back with this same one message that the Lord gave me to give to his light. We must repent. We must live change lives. Now that we are in Christ, how do you and I expect that he wants us to live? Well, let's turn to the scripture. Well, we are still in Second Peter, but let's flip over to chapter 3. And if we come down to verse 11, he says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be in the meantime? Hmm? Well, he gave us the answer. In holy behavior. That is in a pattern of daily life that sets you apart as a believer and in godliness. He's telling us how we are to live in these last days because the Lord is coming, beloved. He says in holy behavior and what he says and in godliness displaying profound reverence toward our awesome God while you earnestly look for and await the coming of the day of God. For on this day, the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the, the material elements will melt with fervent heat. But in accordance with his promise, we expectantly await new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So, beloved, since you are looking forward to these things, 
be diligent and make every effort to be found by him at his return spotless and blameless in peace that is inwardly calm with a sense of spiritual well-being and confidence having lived a life of obedience to him and consider the patience of our Lord, his delay in judging and avenging wrongs as salvation, that is, allowing time for more to be saved. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him by God, verse 16 Speaking about these things as he does in all of his letters in which now listen, okay, because this is where we keep missing it by hanging out with these false prophets and bishops and pastors. Speaking about these things as he does in all of his letters in which there are some things that are difficult to understand, which the untaught and unstable who have fallen into error twist and misinterpret just as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Amen. And look at verse 17 of 2 Peter 3. Therefore, let me warn you, beloved, knowing these things beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men who distort doctrine and fall, mm, and fall from your own steadfastness of mind, knowledge, truth, and faith. But, now listen to verse 18. In the midst of all of that madness going on, we are to grow spiritually mature in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, honor, majesty, splendor, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So, beloved, Scripture is absolutely clear about how we ought to live as we await the coming return of the one who went to the cross, died, and suffered for our sins, it pleased God to smite his son. When Jesus Christ willingly laid down his life as a sin offering, he became the propitiation for our sins, that mean his sacrifice appeased God's 
demand that sin must be paid for. Yes, God's justice demanded payment for sin. No human being born with this fallen nature could have paid that penalty for themselves. No way, no how. You want to know why? Romans 3.10. Read it. None. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All, and all means all, have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. Verse 14. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. Look at verse 18. You want to know why all this went down for us? Verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Amen. So can't you see why we needed a Savior? Who made atonement for our sins? Sacrificing his perfect sinless body once that is good for all time. There is no more sacrifice for sins, beloved. Christ Jesus made atonement for our sins, reconciling us back to the Father. Through repentance, we can now receive the salvation that has been given to us as a free gift because we just finished reading Romans 3, 10 to 18 that all of us, all of us, there is not one good in the bunch. We need it to be saved. Oh, yes. Because by Christ becoming the propitiation, he satisfied God's demand that sin must be paid for by death because Romans 6:23 the wages of sin is death who could have paid that price not sinful man but Christ Jesus, he is the one we are to follow. His self-sacrifice diverted God's wrath that was rightly and justly upon us. But because Christ totally fulfilled the law, 
Christ totally obeyed the Father in all points, even unto death on a cross. So, no one could have met that requirement but Christ Jesus. He is the one that the Bible says no other name has been given to men both in heaven and on the earth and under the earth by which one can be saved. Christ Jesus of Nazareth, the son of the living God, is the savior of the whole entire world. And guess what, beloved? Listen, let me tell you about this guess what, beloved. After all, how Christ died and suffered for us. I keep pointing y'all to Isaiah 52. Read that. Namely, starting in verse 14. Because Isaiah prophesied how Jesus looked hanging on a cross, dying for our sins. Because all of this fake Jesus imagery, especially coming out of the Roman Catholic pagan idolatrous Satan church, love to put out a fake Jesus dying on a cross, just looking, you know, basically crestfallen, you know, gaunt, rib, rib cage showing, a little trickle of blood, of blood coming from the, the crown of thorns and that little slit on the side. It looks to me like he died pretty much peacefully, but that's not how he looked. Isaiah said he looked unrecognizable as a human being. That's how mutilated they destroyed the flesh off his body by the whipping of a cat of nine tails. And if we study out the four gospels, we see that Jesus was flogged on at least two occasions. He was close to death when he had to pick up his cross and walk the Via Della Rosa. Beloved, Christ Jesus was so beaten, he couldn't even carry his own cross. They had to pull a man who was coming from out of the country. Uh, what's his name? Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene. He had to help Jesus carry that cross. So it wasn't a pretty picture. Not at all. He was mutilated. His, his form was unrecognizable. Isaiah says no one has ever looked so disfigured when the Messiah was dying on the cross for our sins, paying the penalty that was rightly due to us. And what was that penalty? The holy, just wrath of God. 
And guess what, beloved? Getting back to the guess what, beloved? Humanity, by and large, rejected Jesus. Come back over here to 2 Peter 3. Look in verse 3. Peter says, because he was talking about the coming day of the Lord. He says, and this is a daggone shame. First of all, no, without any doubt that mockers will come in the last days with their mocking, following after their own human desires and saying, where is the promise of his coming? What has become of it? For ever since the fathers fell asleep in death, all things have continued exactly as they did from the beginning of creation. For they willingly forget the fact that the heavens existed long ago by the word of God and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. But by his own word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly people. Amen. I love verse 8. Listen, nevertheless, do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. He's talking about God is in eternity. Thank you, Holy Spirit. He is not bound by time as we are. So to him, uh, one day is like a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Listen, verse 9. The Lord... Okay, let us not get this twisted, beloved. The Lord does not delay as though he were unable to act and is and <laughs> and is not slow about his promise as some count slowness, but is extraordinarily patient toward us, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Amen. Hallelujah. So all of these mockers and scorners talking about where he at. Y'all been talking about Christ Jesus is coming. I don't see him coming. My, my daddy didn't see him. My granddaddy didn't see him and his father before him didn't see him either. Where is he? Mm-hmm. You want to know why he's delaying? Because it is not his will for any to perish. But guess what? Many will perish. Let's come over here to Luke 13. Because we got to understand our God is merciful. Just like in the days of Noah. 
He gave humanity close to about what? Over a hundred years, pushing a hundred and twenty years to repent. Only think about this. Only one family on the face of this flat earth was saved from his judgment. He caused the windows of heaven to open up and pour out so much rain, water, that it flooded the entire earth. Everything on the earth, save those in that ark, was destroyed. One family and those animals, two by two. Noah, his wife, their sons, and their wives. That's it. That's it. And Christ said when he returns, it will be just as it was in the days of Noah and Lot. So that tells us not a whole lot of people are going to be saved. And he said just as much. We're going to get to that also. But over here, because I'm, I'm really, I really got to make this short and sweet this morning, beloved. Over here in Luke 13, Christ is calling for repentance. Yes. Listen. Long story short, we have Pilate, the governor. He had, what it says, uh-huh, these people came to Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate, the governor, had mixed with their sacrifices Jesus replied to them because, you see, he wanted, right, Holy Spirit, he wanted to take their minds off of this tragedy that had happened and put their minds on their individual standing with the Lord. Because his message, just like he gives to all of his disciples, Repent or perish. So Christ, even while on the earth, was preparing the people's minds and heart to receive him as their promised, long-awaited Messiah. So when they came with the hot news about what had happened with Pilate and those Galileans, look at what Christ wanted them to more focus on. Eternity. Listen, he says, do you think, because after they came with this blazing news, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they have suffered in this way? Verse 3, I tell you no, but unless you, see, he's, he's bringing their minds back to them individually. 
Forget about what happened to these Galileans because they are no longer in the earth. But you, because these other Galileans, these citizens of Jerusalem are standing eyeball to eyeball with the living God. Some recognized him as the Messiah, some didn't. Some knew, but rejected him anyway. Namely, the Pharisees, Sadducees, elders, and them scribes. So, Jesus was bringing the minds of the people to this one fact. What he says? He says, I tell you no, but unless you... You individual, repent. And what does repent means biblically? Well, it's telling us here in the Amplified. Change your old way of thinking. Turn from your sinful ways and live changed lives. Because he says, otherwise, you will all likewise perish and to drive that picture even harder to them he says over here in verse 4 or do you assume that those 18 on whom the tower and solemn fell and killed were worse sinners than all the others who lived in Jerusalem I tell you no, but unless you repent, change your old way of thinking, turn from your sinful ways, and live changed lives, you, you will all likewise perish. Amen. And then It leads us into the parable of the fig tree. Listen, beloved. Christ Jesus told the parable of the fig tree in verses 6 through 9. Right immediately after reminding his listeners of a tower over the pool of Siloam, which fell unexpectedly and killed those 18 people because the moral of that story as we as we just saw over here in in verses 3 to 5 where Jesus I'm gonna say it again unless you repent you will likewise perish so to reiterate this moral Jesus is about to tell us the story of a fig tree. Not only about the fig tree, but the vineyard owner and the gardener who took care of the vineyard. So let us read that real quick. Here we go. Verse 6. Then he began telling them this parable. A certain man had a fig tree that had been planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it but did not find any so he said to the vineyard keeper 
for three years. I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground, depleting the soil and blocking the sunlight? But he replied to him, let it alone, sir, just one more year until I dig around it and put in fertilizer. And if it bears fruit after this, fine. But if not, cut it down. Amen. So, beloved, we see three entities in the story that all have clear symbolic significance. The vineyard owner represents the father, the one who rightly expects to see fruit on his tree and who justly decides to destroy it when he finds no fruit. The gardener or vineyard keeper who cares for the trees, watering and fertilizing them to bring them to their peak of fruitfulness represents Christ Jesus, who feeds his people and gives them living water. The tree, now listen about the tree. The tree itself has two symbolic meanings. The nation of Israel and the individual. Because as the story unfolds, we just read it, we see the vineyard owner expressing his disappointment at the fruitless tree. He has looked for fruit for three years from this tree, but has found none. Listen, beloved. The three-year period is significant because for three years, John the Baptist and Jesus had been preaching the message of repentance throughout Israel. But the fruits of repentance were not forthcoming. John the Baptist warned the people about the Messiah coming and told them to bring forth fruit fit for repentance. Why? Because the axe was already laid at the root of the tree. Yes, beloved. Let us take a quick look at Luke 3, 8 through 9. John the Baptist, as he was baptizing um, Israel, he said in verse 8 of Luke 3, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Verse 9, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen. Isn't this what 
the parable of the fig tree is all about, beloved. So, the Jews, but the Jews, guess what? They were offended. Yes, how dare you tell me, us, we need to repent? They were offended by the very idea they needed to repent. And they rejected their Messiah because he demanded repentance from them. Think about it. Prior to John the Baptist making his public showing to Israel, they, they thought that by keeping the whole law of Moses that they have right standing with God. But they were not keeping the whole law. They assumed because they were descendants of Abraham, they have a golden ticket straight into the kingdom. And they made great, great boast about being descendants of Abraham. And John the Baptist quickly <laughs> quickly let them know that that lineage means absolutely nothing because holy God can raise up these rocks, these stones as children. So you're really not saying much, but he was telling them that they must produce fruit in keeping with their repentance. Why? The Lord is ready with that axe. Three more years. Three more years. Otherwise, it's going to be cut at the root and thrown into the fire of destruction. So, these Israelites, okay, because after all, you couldn't tell them nothing. They had the revelation of God, the prophets, the scriptures, the covenants, and the adoption. Listen, Romans 9, 4 to 5 says, They are Israelites, and to them belong the adop adoption, adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all. Blessed forever. Amen. Mm -hmm. They had it all. But they were already apostate. They had departed from the true faith and the true and living God and created a system of works righteousness that was an abomination to God. He, as the vineyard owner, was perfectly justified in tearing down the tree that had no fruit. Beloved, you got to understand what's happening. The Lord's axe was already poised over the root of the tree and it was ready to fall. 
Mm-hmm. But then we see the gardener pleading for a little more time. There, listen, the backstory to this parable. Because you see, Jesus taught in parables to explain spiritual truths. And that's why he always said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. There were a few months before the crucifixion and more miracles to come, especially the incredible miracle of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which would astound many and perhaps cause the Jews to repent. Well, as it turned out, Israel as a nation still to this day, did not believe. But individuals certainly did. We see over here in John 12, John 12, 10 to 11. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Amen. Look, they wanted to put Lazarus back in the tomb. Wicked, wicked, wicked. So, the compassionate gardener intercedes for more time to water and fertilize the fruitless tree and the gracious Lord of the vineyard responds in patience. So, the lesson for the individual is that borrowed time is not permanent, beloved. Just because the Lord has not struck you down while you still are not producing fruit in keeping with repentance, this is not the time to be partying kicking up your heels, living your best life. He's giving you time. But for the fact, none of us knows the day in which we shall die. Hebrews 9.27 should be at the forefront of our minds. It is appointed unto men once to die and after this comes certain judgment mm -hmm. so God's patience has a limit just like his patience was shown during Noah's day while even while even Noah was building the ark he was preaching righteousness to the people and the people thought Noah was absolutely crazy talking about rain and a flood coming. When up until that time, rain never fell from the sky. So they thought, what's his name? Noah was completely off his rocker. So what happened? Eventually the ark was completed and God caused the door to the ark to close. His patience has ran out. 
he no longer was going to strive with with men. The Bible says over there in Genesis that he he repented for even creating man with all the wickedness, not to mention the giants in the land whom came about when fallen angels took the daughters of men as wives and had these giants with, with these human beings. Listen, two classes of beings cannot mate to create a human being. The angelic class is different from humans. And we see, I'm, I'm, I'm about to sidetrack us real quick here. And we see that mingling, that altering of DNA going on today. Mm-hmm. I ain't got to say much. Those who already know what's happening with that juice that these elites wants to push into your veins. Satan is still on that gene altering tip today in the 21st century. That's all I'm going to say about that. So getting back to this lesson. Okay. Borrowed time is not permanent. God's patience does have has a limit because in the parable, the vineyard owner grants another year of life to the tree in the same way God in his mercy grants us another day, another hour, another breath. Christ stands at the door of each man's heart knocking and seeking to gain entrance and requiring repentance from sin. But, beloved, if there is no fruit, no repentance, his patience will come to a dramatic end and the fruitless, unrepented individual will be cut down. Yes, listen, we all live on borrowed time. Judgment is near. That is why the prophet Isaiah wrote, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he freely pardon. Amen. Isaiah 55, 6 through 7. Beloved, listen to me and, and, and hear me close. Satan wants to destroy the message of repentance. And replace it with all you have to do is just believe in Jesus. Well, the problem with only believing in Jesus, this belief is only a mental assent. Because to truly, hear me now, to truly believe in Jesus, it means to 
obey Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's so not about having a mental assent, beloved. Listen, okay. Matthew 3.10 And already the axe of God's judgment is swinging toward the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen. Listen, Matthew 3, 8 is all about prove by the way you live that you have, in fact, repented of sins and turned to God. Yes, repentance doesn't mean anything if you keep doing what you're sorry for. Uh-uh. Listen. Acts 17, 30 to 31. God commands all of us to repent. What you mean you don't have to repent? Well, Cynthia, repenting is a work for salvation. No, it is not. What? If it, listen, Think about it, beloved. If repentance, to repent, was a work of the law, why did Jesus tell us to repent? He fulfilled the law. If repentance was part of the law, then we won't see nothing about repenting in the New Testament. His disciples, who are now the apostles, all talked about repenting, turning from your wicked ways, and turn back to God. Peter spoke of it. Uh, Paul spoke of it. In the epistles, it is all about... <sighs> Calm down, girl. Calm down. It is all... All about being set free from the bondage of sin. That's what Christ died for. So that we can be set free from the bondage of sin. And no longer have God's wrath upon us. That's why he died. To destroy the works of Satan. Sin and, and bondage is all about what Satan is about. Christ liberated us from bondage by doing what we could not have ever done. And that is to live a life of sinless perfection. But guess what, beloved? One day when he returns and these lowly bodies are glorified, no longer will we be even tempted by sin. Sin will be forever destroyed. But until then, we produce fruit in keeping with our repentance. Christ Jesus said to repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. He was telling the world God 
is walking on the earth with men about to reconcile men back to God when he lays down his life as a sin offering, being the propitiation, being what was able to finally successfully appeased, satisfy God's justice. His demand that sin must be paid for. Well, Christ Jesus paid the price because those Old Testament animal sacrifices were only temporary. It only once a year, the high priest made atonement for his sin and the sins of the Israelites. Mm -hmm. And he had to perfectly do what was needed in that sacrifice. He had to follow that ritual to a T. Otherwise, God was going to strike him dead in the Holy of Holies. That's why they, they had to tie a rope around the high priest's ankle so that if God were to strike him down, they can pull him out because no one could enter the holies of holies but the high priest. Otherwise, you're going to perish. So, I don't know if he was taking too long. They would, what, tug on the rope and if it kind of kicked back because he was still in there okay well then they knew he was still alive but if they pulled and kept pulling and didn't feel any resistance and they pulled the dead priest out well God did not accept the sacrifice but when the high priest came out and when he put his hand on the scapegoat because that's where we get the term scapegoat that someone is paying the a penalty for our wrongdoing. And when he put his hand on that goat, well, it those sins got transferred onto the goat and God accepted temporarily that sacrifice. But when Christ came, the Lamb of God, the final lamb to be slain, well, that sacrifice, God completely accepted it. And how do we know he completely accepted it? Three days later, when Christ died on the cross and was buried, God, by the power of Holy Spirit, raised Jesus from the dead. We all know Christ is still alive, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, Make it intercessions for the saints. Beloved, back over here to Acts 17, 30 to 31. Yes, in times past, God winked at man's ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? Because he has set a day in which he will judge the world through Jesus Christ. He will judge the inhabited world in righteousness, beloved. And he gave proof of this by raising him from the dead. So can't we see why Satan in his demonic teachings 
will tell people all you got to do is confess Christ. And once you are saved, you are always saved. And that if anybody teaches that you must produce fruit in keeping with your repentance. Well, that's legalism. That's false teaching. No, it's not, beloved. We are to produce good fruit. Jesus gave the parable. Okay. He's saying that if there is no change life. Now that you have come to him. There should be change. Mm -hmm. If there is. If there is no change. Well then how is your faith genuine? Because James. Listen beloved. I. I so gotta go, but I, I just, I, I will be remiss if I don't teach by the grace of God, sound doctrine. James says, how can your faith be as genuine as you say? Now I'm paraphrasing. Y'all go over there to James chapter two. How can your faith be genuine as you claim it to be? And there's no proof of this said faith because without works of righteousness, he's talking about righteousness, not works of the law. Because he maybe if you come out from under the bishop with all of his doctrines of devils long enough, and actually sit with Holy Spirit to get sound teaching, you would know James was not, was not talking about works of the law, keeping rituals. No, he's talking about works of righteousness. He's talking the same talk Jesus was talking about when he gave the parable of that fig tree. He even tells us in when he was talking about how he is the vine, we are the branches. If we allow ourselves to fall away from Jesus and no longer abide in him, well, we become withered branches, broken off from the vine. And guess what's going to happen to these broken off branches? Mm -hmm. The same thing that's going to happen with these fruitless trees. They will be bundled together to be thrown into the fire. What fire? Y'all better go over there to Revelation 2015. That fire. It is called the lake that blazes with fire and brimstone. For all of eternity, the smoke of your torment will rise day and night and there will be no relief for you. Amen. So Christ was absolutely correct when he made this sombering, startling statement. What profit will it do a man to gain this whole world and lose his soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? And beloved, many have gained, um, have, have given a lot 
in exchange for their soul. Everything that Satan offered them. Three temptations that have many tentacles that worked back in the Garden of Eden and is working present day. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, beloved. So, everyone, according to, listen, Roman, thank you, Holy Spirit. According to Romans 14, 12, Every one of us shall give account to God. That is why Peter says over here in Acts 3.19, Repent then and turn to God. Why? Why must we first repent? So that your sins may be wiped out. That's why we repent. Listen, this is not rocket science, beloved. Christ Jesus over there in Luke 13, 3 tells us what repentance looks like. It is a change of your mind. No longer is sin the big time fun, something to be had by one and all. No. No longer do we mock God and his sovereignty. No longer do we reject Jesus and his good, great gospel. There must be a turning of the mind when you hear the gospel, how God has made a way for sinners to be made right with him when they put their faith in Jesus Christ. So, Peter is saying, repent, turn, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Beloved, fruit in keeping with repentance as Matthew 3, 8 was exhorting us. By John the Baptist. Fruit in keeping with repentance represents the good deeds and change behaviors that naturally flow from a truly repented and, and transformed heart. Because again, over there in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26, he teaches extensively on the subject, explaining that faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Go to verse 17 of James chapter 2 because he concludes in verse 26 just as the body is dead without breath. So also faith is dead without good works. Amen. And not good works like what? Going to church, reading the Bible, keeping the Ten Commandments, observing the Sabbath. No, he ain't talking about those good works. He's talking about works of righteousness. Has there been any change in your wicked behavior? Are you living clean? Are you living holy? Because 
out of that born again life comes righteous deeds. Unless you, <laughs> thank you, Holy Spirit, you're right. It it is it is clear. It's clear now for me. Okay, because once you are truly born again and you have truly, sincerely repented of sin, you ain't living a life that is characterized by sin. You will produce good fruit. That's what happens with good trees. Let's go to what Jesus said. Here we are. Where are we at? Matthew 7. Okay. If we come to see, again, Jesus was honing in on these false prophets because in verse 15, he's saying, beware of the false prophets, teachers who come to you dressed as sheep, appearing gentle and innocent, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And in verse 16 of Matthew 7, he's about to tell us how we can know who's who. Namely, these false prophets, because they all talk a good game. They are charismatic, profound, and prolific, and not to mention attractive. All of this smoke and mirrors, but where's the gospel? And so Jesus in verse 16 of Matthew 7 is saying, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Amen. You want to know why? Because outwardly, they appear to be sheep. They profess godliness. But if we don't look at their lifestyle, because the lifestyle is the fruit, he's telling us pretty much disregard what's coming out of that mouth, because what's coming out of that mouth is deception. They coming and sounding like sheep. <laughs> yes. Putting on a form of godliness. But inwardly, Christ is saying, these are wolves in sheep's clothing, beloved. So it's by the fruit you will be able to distinguish who's who. Because he says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That is by their contrived doctrine and, and self-focus. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the unhealthy tree bears bad fruit. A good tree, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree, oh, here we go again. Mm-mm-mm. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruit, you will recognize them as false prophets. Amen. Here we go about how that axe is at the root of that tree. That tree better start producing some good fruits, especially. 
especially when we have Holy Spirit who came to glorify Christ Jesus. He teaches us. He fertilizes us. He prunes us. He gets us through sanctification to produce good fruits of righteousness because Jesus is looking at that fruit. He ain't looking at what's coming out of your mouth. Oh, no, no, no. He's looking to see if you are his. Because guess what? Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Amen. He's see. See what I'm saying? It's not what comes out of that mouth. It's what's showing up as fruit in your life that he's looking at. Because he's saying, everyone, not everyone, who says to me, Lord, Lord. Because those who say, Lord, Lord, believe they are born again. He's looking at that life. He's looking it over with a fine tooth comb. Because thank you Holy Spirit. You write Jeremiah 17. 9 through 10. Let us not forget this. Namely in verse 10. Jesus says. I I, the Lord. Search the heart. I try the reins. Even to give every man. According to his ways. And according to the fruit. Of his doings. Amen. Fruit. Fruit. See, beloved, I'm not making this up. I am not this smart. This is Holy Spirit working through me by the grace of God. I make no boast. He's looking at fruit. He's going to judge the fruit, not what's coming out of your mouth, claiming the name, Lord, Lord. This is what I'm expressly teaching on this podcast we keep saying lord lord oh i'm a christian oh i follow jesus but what about the lifestyle are there any fruits of righteousness sprouting out on that fig tree called your life because guess what in the spirit that we can't see, but we better have eyes to see, beloved. The axe is at the fruit, at the root of your life, aka tree. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Jesus is going to judge the fruit according to the fruit of your doings what have you been doing while in the body claiming lord lord because he says over here in verse 21 of matthew 7 not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my father who is in heaven and no, beloved, the will of the Father is not for you to have houses, cars, and lands, and a new man, all because Christ died for you. No, the Father's will is for us to come to Jesus Christ in repentance so that we can receive 
the free gift of salvation that we didn't <clears throat> that we didn't earn. There's nothing we could have done to get it. It is only by his grace. But if you don't repent, how listen, if there is no changing of the mind, that's what repentance is all about. It starts in the mind. If there is no changing of the mind about sin and how you don't want to go to hell, about how Christ Jesus is real and he died for my sins, averting me going to hell. If there's no mulling and meditating and pondering over that in your mind, you're not going to come to Christ. It is just that simple and plain. Verse 22. Because he's saying how not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom. He says in verse 22, many, mm -mm -mm, many will say to me on that day when I judge them, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and driven out demons in your name and done many miracles in your name. And then verse 23, I will declare to them publicly, I never knew you. Depart from me. You are banished from my presence. You who act wickedly disregarding my commands. Amen. Beloved, Christ is not confused. <coughs> he, he is not confused about this whole matter. It's only when you and I allow ourselves to become confused by sitting up in these apostate denominational churches who have broken themselves off from the church of Jesus Christ, his body. is only one church, beloved. There never, even in the scriptures, about there being many denominations. As a matter of fact, Paul came against. He renounced this madness about saying, I follow Peter. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. I follow Paul. And he is like, who are we? We are just mere mortals. Listen, some plant, some water, but it is God who gives the increase. Because the problem that's going on today is the same problem that was going on down at the house of Chloe. People were being divided in their allegiance, because some were saying, I follow Peter, I follow Apollos, this and that, just like today. Some say, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Pentecostalist, a Pentecostalist, or whatever. I'm charismatic, I'm Catholic, I'm Seven Day Adventist, I'm Mormon, I'm Jehovah Witness, I'm New Age, I'm Scientology, claiming that. They all have the way to heaven, but none of them is going through the real Jesus Christ because that Christ, who, whomever he is, the devil, that's who he is, a demon, is saying that you can get to heaven by works. 
You can get to heaven by going to a man in a box and confessing your sin to someone that wears a white collar when in fact that man is steeped in idolatry, steeped in the veneration of Mary, not to mention sexual deviancy. So you mean tell me this man that's rife with pedophilia is going to... Is going to forgive me of my sins when he needs to be on his hands and knees. Mm -mm -mm. On his hands and knees and full repentance crying out to the true and living God. Beloved, listen to me. No, not me. Listen to Jesus Christ. Over here, let's back it up to verse 13 of Matthew 7. And beloved, I truly got to go after this, okay? He's talking about two gates. One is narrow and one is wide. He says in verse 13 to 14, enter through the narrow gate. He's, he's telling us the way to go. Enter through the narrow gate for wide, okay? In contrast, wide is the gate and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way, not to him, not to eternal life, but leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And guess what, beloved? He says, many. Just like he says, many on that day. Mm -hmm. There are, there will be a lot of deceived, shell-shocked, quote-unquote, Christians and prophets on the day that has been appointed for judgment. He says, Places here. Uh huh. Easy, broad, and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. And there are many who enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow and difficult. To travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life. And there are few who find it. Amen. Listen, you want to know why? That many will be on that wide, broad path. The path of least resistance is because... By and large, people don't want to stop and give up their evil, wicked ways. They treat the word repentance as if it is a dirty, blasphemous word. And so we know that it comes from none other than Satan himself. That is why he's he teaches through his demonic teachings that you don't have to repent. Once you confess Christ, you are born again. Once you're in the family, you are always in the family. 
You don't have to live a good life. Why? Because your future sins have also been nailed to the cross at Calvary. That's a doctrine of devils, beloved. No, it hasn't. Listen, we have an advocate. We have a mediator, one in heaven, Christ Jesus, that if we do sin, if we miss the mark, not that our lives are characterized by habitual sin, until these bodies are glorified, we're going to miss the mark. Let us pray that those marks, those missed marks, are far and few in between as we press into Christ Jesus, as we remain obedient to the Father, working in participation with Holy Spirit in this sanctification process, producing fruits in keeping with our repentance, we we may miss the mark. And when we do, we have an advocate, Christ Jesus. The Father is faithful that when we come in true, sincere, and true and sincere godly sorrow, He is faithful to forgive us. He is just. He will cleanse us purify us from all unrighteousness but beloved let us not get this twisted we are to live clean and holy yes the command was set forth over there in John 8 11 go and sin no more that's it and it's doable and possible because we now have Holy Spirit so if you are claiming the name Lord, Lord, but you are living in willful, habitual, perpetual, blatant, open in your face, Jesus sin, you're gonna perish. Repent and believe. Stop sinning and turn back to God. God is faithful and He is patient and He is giving mankind time to come to their senses as they ought to and stop sinning. Repent, 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 repent. And Lord willing, until next time, I shall be speaking to you all soon. Bye for now. Thank you guys for tuning in. I truly appreciate all your support. Until next time, I'll be talking to y'all soon. Bye.